0: Welcome to Set on Sunday, a podcast by Kellerville Anglican where we talk about what was said on Sunday or even what we didn't have time to say on Sunday. We are passionate about being deep in the Word of God and doing life together in community. So thanks for letting us into your week as we learn more about Jesus together. Here's today's episode. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Set on Sunday. My name's Beck, and I'm hosting the podcast today. We're back after a short break. We had our school holiday program and some interesting sermons that we're going to talk about now. And joining me is Dave. How are you going, Dave?
1: Hello, Beg. It's so good to be back. I've missed it.
0: You've missed being in James's office. I have. Talking into the microphone. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very good. And how about you, Dan?
2: Hello, hello. Um, Yeah, it's good to be back. I love it. It, Yeah, podcast is great. And some juicy questions to throw around as well
0: as always (laughs) all right so our sermon series was big questions with real answers so what we'll do today is go through each sermon and have a chat about that and um, put in and answer your questions as well Um, so the first question and the first sermon was why do bad things happen to good people Nathan actually brought the message to us that day so do one of you guys want to let us know what he had to say
1: I can't remember. No, no. Um, uh, yeah, so Nathan's on leave. Um, yeah, so why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, I, if I remember Nathan's talk, uh, and it was a while ago, we're talking... Three four, or four three weeks Three ago. or four weeks ago.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so forgive me if this isn't Nathan's answer and just turns into my answer. <laughs> That's okay.
0: Um,
1: yeah, so I, I think uh, we, we talked a little bit about... Um, Uh, you know what? What is a good and a bad person? I Mm -hmm. think. Um, and uh, it was like, oh, it was like the best. The worst thing happened to the best person, so that the uh worst people could have the best. best. That's it. Yeah. That was cool. Little yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. So that was Nathan's answer. Yeah. Um. Does that make sense? Do we need to dig more?
0: Yeah. What do you remember, Dan? Um,
2: <laughs> I remember particularly the that it was he structured it really cool. Like it was, it he looked he written a sermon already in the middle, and that was the it was the intellectual Christian response was the middle one. I think the first um the first one I can't I remember the first point, but the second point was intellectual C- Christian answer, and then closing with like a more pastoral Christian answer of mm. it is a hard space to be speaking into in terms of suffering, and because it is such a a loaded thing with individual experiences just differing greatly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think there was a bit of confession time on the platform for Nathan that day, like sharing things <laughs> that he wished he hadn't said many years ago. Um, because I think his answer was, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, there are no good people, yeah. I think was his response, which yes. is true in a sense. Like we're all tainted by sin and we're all sinful and sinners but it's not very nice to hear when you're in the midst of suffering and it's not the whole answer to the question
1: either. Yeah. I, I, um, so when he, cause he, sorry, he went back and said I, I you know, um, answered this question when I was on MTS and it was a Jesus over lunchtime jolt. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I was in the room for it. Oh, there you go. Um, when, when he did it, and I, I, can't, I couldn't remember what he said then. Um, <laughs> but that, that was, you know, we we're talking a while ago uh, as well, so maybe 10 years ago. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it was like, you know, t- pitching it to your 7 to 12 students, yeah, he was probably, mm. I think he said, I probably wouldn't have listened to myself and gone, yeah, that's, you know, while there's truth to it, Yeah. Uh, it probably lacks a little bit of love.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it reminds me a bit of Tim Keller's approach in his book. Um, I wrote down what it was called because I knew I'd forget. Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Have you guys yeah, read that no, book? No, um, And he writes in three parts. So the first part is like the philosophical approach to suffering. The second part is the theological approach to suffering. And then the third part is how to walk with God through pain and suffering, like a more mm. practical and lots of stories of people that have been through it. ...and sort of sharing their experiences of God in that. And um, Keller actually makes the point that if you are in the midst of suffering... ...part one and two might not be where you're at right yeah. now. Um, yeah. So I think that was really good of Nathan to kind of point out... ...that there are many angles to the question of the problem of suffering.
1: Yeah. And he pointed us to C.S. Lewis too. Mm. That was um, a great quote. And uh, his two books... Problem um, of pain. Um, ...and the and grief observed. Yep. Um, you know, one sort of before his wife... ...passed away and then again mm. after. Mm. Uh, and I think that's, that's again, they're two really helpful, great books to, to mm. really dive into.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right, so we had a question about this sermon. Um, and the question goes, this might be a dumb question... ...but how would you define suffering... Firstly, of course, it's not a dumb question.
1: No, well, there's no dumb questions on this podcast. <laughs> no such thing. It is, in fact, a very profound question. It is. What did do, you, do you Did you come up with an answer, back?
0: Um Let's hear what you guys have to say <laughs> first, <laughs> then I'll fill in the blanks as I can.
2: Suffering is complex. <laughs> um, I would. I I started off with Google, as I, as you always do. Um, so Google says that it's a state of undoing, pain, distress, and hardship. So, like, that's a very overarching view. But like a couple of the things that came to my mind were, is the different types of suffering that people can, can see. And I remember, I think this came up in a few conversations I had in, in my last sermon that I did as well. Um, but the different angles that you can have. So you might have suffering that you've caused yourself and out of like stupidity or dumbness kind of thing, or it could be suffering from another person's actions or another person's seeing that has caused you to suffer, um, which is. Unjust and horrible kind of thing, and um, that. But then there's also suffering from God, which is another whole category that is so hard to discern when we're experiencing it at the moment. And I guess just on the, over all of that, this notion of just just or unjust suffering and that kind of stuff. And yeah, I guess I was grappling with that as I was thinking about the answer. But yeah, suffering is hardship and stress, but knowing that different levels of that can come from different places and for different reasons as well.
0: Mm,
1: mm. Yeah, I don't have a nice, neat definition in my head, uh, nor did I go looking for one. Um, But I I wonder whether suffering, you know, is around anything that is outside the way things are supposed to be. Yeah. Um, As a very broad, high-level... Um, you know, our world is broken by sin. So anything that sort of falls under that, you know, it's probably has elements of suffering to it. Mm. You know, who causes it, you know, the the origins of it and all those things. You'd sort of put those aside and sort of just go from a really high level. It's anything that isn't where it's supposed to be in this world. Yeah. Does, that, does that make
0: sense? Yeah, I think so. Because uh, different worldviews have different takes on suffering, right? Mm. Um, and I think the Christian worldview um, says that the – ...suffering came into the world because the world is broken by sin. Yeah. So other worldviews have different ideas of why, what's wrong with the world... ...and different ways of how to fix it. But the Christian worldview says the world is broken because of sin... ...and how are we going to fix it? Well, Jesus will fix mm. it. Um, mm. And he's, he's the one that will bring restoration. Um, and it's, that process has already started. Um, so, yeah, I think that... Suffering is obviously unpleasant, like there's mental suffering, there's painful suffering, there's, like Dan said, there's suffering you caused yourself, there's suffering from natural disasters and um, there's suffering for being a Christian, like um, when you're persecuted for your faith. Um, Yeah, so there's lots of different kinds of suffering, but that would be a biblical view of why there is suffering is, yeah, because the world is broken.
1: Yeah, yeah. Did you have more?
0: No, no, yeah. I think I – think, and I, I kind of related to this, I think that when I was having a faith crisis um, a while ago and sort of reviewing all the different worldviews, if I ch- chose to walk away from Christianity, the only other one that I was looking at was sort of a material naturalism. So, you know, scientific, the yeah. world is all there is, like what you can see, what you can feel, that's all there is. There's no spiritual realm. And, um, and I didn't stick with Christianity because of this but – but looking at that worldview from the perspective of could I believe that, mm. I actually didn't want to believe that yeah. because there is no hope for restoration. Um, and I think that's a great benefit of the Christian worldview. Um, mm. Also it's true, so there's mm. that too. Um, yeah. But the, the hope that we have for yeah. restoration in the face of suffering um, is quite unique I think to the Christian worldview.
1: Yeah, there's a real clinical aspect to that sort of material, like this world is all there is. Mm. Uh, which, on one hand, like when you look at it from a cushion lens, it's it it's lacking. Like it, mm. you know, you go, oh, like I want hope, and I think people want hope, but I think there is also, if you wanted to sort of jump in defense of it, uh, to sort of go, um, the the comfort comes in that not that you don't have to care, but this is all there is, right? Like, and and once it's done, it's done. Mm. Like you 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 know, and there's it's clinical, mm. but I think there is some elements of comfort to it to go, look, and it might not be the most pleasant but, you know. I guess no consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think it works well from that perspective if you have a nice life. If you yes. have a really hard life, I think that's pretty cold yeah. comfort.
1: I, I'm, I'm, you know, not to jump too far ahead conversation-wise but uh, we're looking at Psalms this term mm-hmm. and Psalm 8 this week. Oh, cool. Um, you know, about what is mankind? Uh, and I've got a bit of a compare and contrast to um, a guy called Peter Singer. yeah Peter Singer is totally he's a utilitarian. as in the the end just justify like it doesn't really matter you've got no if you've got no um, uh, you know something nothing to contribute as a human you, you your value is gone mm. um, which is very unchristian anyway like the, the story for him is that uh, he, he was like this works. Except when it's your own family. And I've got a story about him and his mother uh, <laughs> right. that I'll share on Sunday that just sort of goes, he goes, it's different when it's your own family.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah. Like, duh. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, dude. exactly. Yeah. yeah, talk about the intellectual response <laughs> oh, and the pastoral yeah. response. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's easier to understand the pastoral response when you actually want one yourself. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Oh. Yeah, all right. So um, – the next sermon was what happens when we die? Dan, that was you. What did you talk about? That
2: was me. Um, yeah, so floated around the different responses initially. So initially what is effectively the kind of like a very predominant view in the world of, a kind of an atheistic kind of view of nothing. This life is all we've had is all we have, and we just look at the legacy we leave behind um, as more what happens after we die kind of thing. Um, looked at other religions, a few other religions and what they believe from reincarnation to kind of a spiritual world that coexists kind of thing to what and many are characterized by reaching some sort of state of perfection at the end um, in whatever form that is. Um, but both of those kind of feeling that there is aspects of that that are jarring and really miss some of the feelings and the grief that you feel in those moments, particularly if you're if you're left behind and grieving a loved one. Mm. Um, so landing ultimately in the Bible, in the Christian response to what happens, um, and landing in resting in that and having assurance of where you're heading, um, taking rest in and then those final moments because you know you if you're a Christian you're going to you're going home to be with your heavenly family and your heavenly father Mm -hmm. and letting that also inspire how we act now Mm. and letting that – um doing evangelism, bringing people in like we did at Villefest last week kind of thing and just generally inviting people and telling people about the hope that we have and the faith that we have kind of thing. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm. Cool. Um, So we had a question from your talk. Mm. How can I work toward a good death? So you talk about, you know, feeling confident Mm. in the eternal life we have in Jesus – how can I live in the light of that now and work toward a good death?
2: Yeah. Um, I think yeah, so taking it to pulling it apart and just like qualifying a little bit, like good death in my head at least is one where we're at, we're at peace. We are at peace with that final with that final destination. Of where we're heading, and particularly as a, as a Christian point, which is the one that we're obviously believing and, and that that we want to affirm, um, we know that we're heading home. And I, particularly in that language of home, like I've um, read a few years ago, um, um, "Nearing Home" by Billy Graham, in, in book written in his final years of his life, mm-hmm. um, super encouraging. T- talking about book re- recommendations, if you want a really good example of what confidence and assurance in this, in that space looks like that book is a really great example of, of the Christian living in that space. Well, um, with encouragements and reflection on, on his life as an evangelist and a very front runner person for faith. But, um, all that boils down to, yeah, that home concept of like, I have peace cause I'm going to be with the family that I will have forever. Mm. And anyway, assurance. And so that, that's a good death in my head. Um, assurance of now and that kind of stuff, and I think the confidence in what we end up there and how we get to that is in Christ, in um, in what we have now, in knowing that we that Christ has conquered death and has conquered those things. And it's a point that I don't think I hammered home enough in my in my sermon in reflection with other people, but um, we can have that assurance of our faith because. Jesus won that victory for us. He has defeated death. He has, he rose and in his resurrection defeated death and was, and then enabled because he is the son of God. He is God himself. And, um, that was what the one Corinthians passage that we read. One Corinthians 15 was getting at is if there's no resurrection, then our faith is meaningless and, and means nothing, think we may as well live as if the, as the pagan lives. And because tomorrow we, we will die and nothing matters. Um, but, because, and Paul and Paul is convinced in the letter there in 1 Corinthians 15, because Jesus did die, we have assurance, sorry, did die and rise again. Because he was risen again, we have assurance that will happen with us as well. And we can have assurance of that final day when we are at that, the doors of the gates of heaven ready to be received and ready to go. And while it doesn't practically translate to necessarily here and now, but I think that assurance and that feeling in yourself now that we can, and that is the base. And I was really encouraged by conversations with my parents as I was preparing too, of even though you do feel that doubt, the cornerstone of faith is that death of Jesus, is that resurrection, is the, is, and we, there's just no room for doubt in that because we have that faith in Him and as the one who rose. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think it's really helpful, Dan, mm. and uh, just to sort of double down. Um, or, or to take a slightly controversial take on it, you, you can't work towards a good death mm-hmm. um, uh, because uh, it, it's all about what Jesus has done. It's, it's really not what you've done. Um, but I, I get I get the sentiment, but just to sort of take a, um, a slightly nuanced approach to it, uh, it's all about Jesus. Um, but yet... Uh, I've seen, I've taken many funerals, um, and uh, lots, lots of wonderful Christian people who have gone home to be with Jesus. Um, and I can think of um, a couple in particular that stood out to me. Uh, one who'd gone through multiple cancers, um, you know, and sort of got through all of them except the last one that that you know. And he, in his last, I reckon, ten years, was ready to go home. Like And if you want to talk about a good death, uh, I mean his final moments were, were, were no doubt painful and unpleasant, um, but he was ready to go home to Jesus mm. and that wasn't anything about him. It was just he just loved Jesus uh, and it was such a joy and such a delight uh, to, to be able to be with him and just walk alongside him during those moments um, you know, I think of uh, even people who have passed in the 18 months I've been here and just seen their, their faith and that's, that's what matters in yeah. the end. Um, that's, that's what a good death is, is just keep loving Jesus all the way through, mm. yeah. all the way through the different seasons and the season of, of death, you know, and when it's impending and you know that it's coming, just to keep loving Jesus through it. It's, it's amazingly powerful to model so even to me as a pastor, and I've walked alongside many people, like, you know, genuinely encouraged. Yeah. Mm,
0: yeah. I've, I've read an interesting um, a chapter by Don Carson... ...and it really resonates with what you guys are both saying. So it's in a book called Be Still My Soul. Um, and the chapter is actually available on Gospel Coalition in full. So I'll get James to add that to the show notes because it's really helpful... Um, And one of the things he said that really resonates with what you guys are saying, and I'll quote him because it's so eloquent. Mm. Um, The more a Christian lives in the consciousness of God's presence here, the easier it is to anticipate the unqualified delight that will be experienced in God's presence there. Um, And I think that's how we can prepare for a good death is actually also preparing and living a good life in God's Mm. presence, conscious of his blessing and presence with us. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's always
2: good for Don to put into words what we're trying that. to say. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: I love that language, just unqualified goodness, like wow.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think that – and the other thing he says in there, he sort of talks about how in order to – I think the chapter's called Dying Well or something like that. Um, part of dying well is acknowledging that you're going to die one day. We don't know when. Like we might, we might get a diagnosis that becomes – ...obvious that our death is imminent or we might die suddenly. We actually don't know. Um, But we want to live our lives in the light of the fact that our mortal life comes to an end... ...but our eternal life continues um, because of what Jesus has done for us. Um, Yeah, really good chapter and quite thought-provoking and encouraging as well. Okay, so the third sermon was How Can We Be Happy and Secure? Nathan also brought that sermon to us but it was more recent so perhaps it will be easier to remember what he had to say.
2: Perhaps. I've actually brought up my notes this time, guys. Oh, good. Go Dan. Dan, go it's for it. You. Um, yeah, so started. it was in Ecclesiastes 2. Um, mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes is one of my favourite books in the Bible. Um, anyway, um, looking at wealth and work and um, how those two and what th- that chapter in Ecclesiastes 2 um, says about both those spaces and um, how we toil and how we build up this wealth and how we work, and ultimately it just comes to nothing. It, the 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 word meaningless is the 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 heart of Ecclesiastes, I guess. Then the the cornerstone of its theology, but um, well, not cornerstone. There's a greater theology there. That anyway, we'll unpack that. I'm sure it's in It's not question. an essay, Dan, is Anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> um. Anyway, and all that. Then all that in the final section to come to. How God brings meaning to both those spaces in our lives, and the question, yeah, that question of how can I be happy and secure, which is the overarching question. Well, we look to God because He brings meaning to our work and to our wealth, and how Mm. we use those things and do those and work in our in in our lives under Him as we go about them. Yeah.
0: Hey, thanks, Dan. Mm. Um so the question that we have is about Ecclesiastes 2:26 which kind of rounded out the passage that Nathan was talking about. The verse says to the person who pleases him God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness, but to the sinner he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And the question is, how can we hold this verse with the fact that there are many people that don't love God that have these blessings, the blessings of wisdom, knowledge and happiness?
1: Mm. Yeah, this is is a great question and I think goes a little bit to the heart of uh, some of the wisdom literature. And so when we talk about wisdom literature, uh, we're often talking about Proverbs, Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about Ecclesiastes, uh, we're talking probably a bit of Job in there as well. Uh, And wisdom literature is so good. To get your head into. Uh, We are doing Proverbs next year, um, (laughs) so we we are going to dive a little bit deeper into wisdom uh, literature and how it works and uh, how you're supposed to read it. Uh, And and what wisdom literature is ultimately doing, especially Proverbs, I'll start with Proverbs and then we can dive into the actual question. Um, Proverbs really is a reflection uh, on uh, what – ...they see and what their experiences are of living in this world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, you you often get uh, observations that are contradictory... uh, ...or they go in different directions. Um, And so you sort of go, oh, how does that work? And that's part of wisdom. Uh, Wisdom sits in the space between the, um, the commands of scripture... Um, and uh, the sort of trivial things of life. Uh, and wisdom really sort of guides us in those middle points where it's, it's not black and white. Uh, it is those grey areas. Uh, and Proverbs kicks off and you know, says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, it doesn't tell you what the end of wisdom is, uh, although <laughs> you know, Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, so you can sort of say he's the beginning and the end of everything. Um, but it's a place to start. What mm. does it look like to fear the Lord... Uh, in these circumstances and then you get passages like this one right um and, and even just to highlight some of the contradictory nature like ecclesiastes 2 verse 17 i hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me all of it meaningless a chasing after the wind verse 24 a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil this too i see is from the hand of god so what is it is work mm-hmm. grievous and meaningless or is it about finding satisfaction? Mm. The answer is yes. Exactly. <laughs> the tension. Um, Yeah, and, and the answer is yes uh, because the, the created order is wonderful, glorious, um, but we're also ruins and broken by sin and it's in the world. So, yeah, both are true. Um, and so when you get to something like verse 26, there's a really long way to answer a very simple question. Um <laughs> But uh, there's probably elements of this that you go, it, it is, there's truth to it. Um, but there's also elements where, yeah, your experience will look different. Um, and Ecclesiastes will probably push the other way, at you know, at various uh, aspects through it. So mm-hmm. I think you got to understand that bigger picture uh, rather than sort of take this and go, well, hang on, when, when is the sinner going to hand over their wealth to me? Yeah. Um, I'm waiting. Let's go.
2: Um, I don't think that's how it works. Mm. While we're on Wisdom Literature generally, um, I was watching the Bible. I've seen the Bible Project summary of the Wisdom Literature Mm. um, over a number of videos. And I think their picture of the three wisdom books is really helpful. Like you've got um, Proverbs as this lady who's out in the streets calling and saying, listen to my observations, listen to the wisdom I have. You've got Job who contends with this very um, hard space of life of suffering and how God speaking into that. And then you've got Ecclesiastes, um, which is the old wizened man who is naturally kind of going to be a little grumpy at life at the other end of his life when he considers every single thing that he's done it, throughout his life and then comes to this. And so you're probably going to have those contradictions. You're going to have those observations that have been seen throughout life as he's trying to parse everything and bring it back to God as well. So I think mm. that's a helpful picture to have in mind as we think about that too.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think if you think about the context of Ecclesiastes 2... ...it's kind of happening at the beginning of the book. It's setting up a lot of things that then it it goes on and explores. Um, But as it pertains to Ecclesiastes 2.26... ...I did skim read a few commentaries and got really lost really quickly... ...because it was really murky. um, Because we have this tricky phrase at the end. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind... So is it good that God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness to those who please him or is it bad? And so so one one commentator or several were kind of saying this is the, um, the teacher, the author of Ecclesiastes kind of saying, oh, is God capricious? Like he gives mm. one thing to one person and one thing to another person based on his own desires mm. um, and that's a bad thing or is that a good thing? Like it's so it's all kind of tricky but um, I... The the commentator I found the most helpful on this was Derek Kidner... Mm. um, ...who I should have gone to first, I don't know why I didn't... ...but um, he sort of emphasises that wisdom, knowledge and joy... ...properly defined are spiritual gifts... Mm. ...that are only accessible to those who know God. So like Dave, you quoted Proverbs... ...the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Mm. There's another proverb that says um, knowledge... Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Mm. So you've kind of got true wisdom and knowledge um, are only available to people who love God. Um, and then you've got joy, which is a whole nother kettle of fish. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. um, and so you kind of have to look to all of Scripture to mm. understand a single verse sometimes. Mm. Um, but I, li- I like what Derek Kidner had mm. to say because I think mm. there is a contrast in here between the person um, who pleases God and the person who doesn't, mm. that um, I think he's is he, like is inheriting the verses. There's a contrast there mm. to be explored. Is it murky? Yes, mm. that's because it's wisdom literature and prompting yeah. us to think.
2: Yeah. Um, just to make one more point on that and kind of emphasize it a little more as well, um, going to the end of Ecclesiastes, the conclusions of that, the final verses in the book um, say this. So now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands for, that, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So that thing that just emphasizes the core of the entire wisdom literature, like Dave was saying, of fearing God, bringing it all back to God because he gives meaning to this effectively meaningless life that has been built up in argument mm. um, throughout the entire book and, yeah, it reinforces the point you were saying too. I think it's helpful to keep that in mind. That is actual conclusion of the book at the end too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of giving a hint of yeah. what's to come maybe. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so our last question um, is not related to... ...any of the sermons, it's a little bonus one. Um, and they say this is a funky question. Yeah, James, <laughs> we've got some
1: disco music we can put underneath this.
0: <laughs> we'll see what he does. <laughs>
1: we got anything there? No? No. no? no, he's shaking his head. No.
0: Maybe in post, I don't know. It'll be yeah. a surprise for us all. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so the question is... Um, ...this is a funky question but it's been on my mind. So when Adam and Eve disobeyed God... ...and ate the forbidden fruit that the serpent tricked them into eating... Since the fruit was an apple, does that mean as a Christian you shouldn't eat an apple?
1: I just don't eat fruit, full stop. That's Um, one way around it. (laughs) Yeah, I just stay away from anything that grows on trees. Um, uh, When you you go back and read uh, Genesis uh, and those opening uh, chapters... Uh, I think you find there's no mention of apples.
0: Mm, mm. It's true.
1: Uh, and so it's a common, really common misconception uh, that's out there that's been, I don't know where it started and how it sort of, you know.
0: I think it was in um, art.
1: Yeah, it could have I, been. Yeah. Yeah, I went art. searching for oh, a little did?
2: thing. You did, um, So uh, where, where am I? So... Doesn't mention it as we said. Early Christian art depicts the fall of man with a fig, apparently. Okay. Um likely introduced as being an apple in recollection of the apple of paradise or when the Bible was translated from there. Um apparently in Latin, evil is malum and apple is malice. So there, there's a there's a uh, bit of a word light play kind of wordplay there perhaps. And creative. Um, it could be a mistranslation. And apparently in its early depiction the Fall of Man, a painting was from the second century, um, in the catacombs of St. Gennaro in Naples, apparently. So it's it's awesome. it's a popular yeah. artistic depiction, I guess. Well if yeah. you're gonna
0: paint a picture of it, I guess you have to choose a fruit, don't yeah. you? <laughs> so.
2: Oh yeah, you've got to go something. Yeah. You know, have right. yeah,
1: you, gotta put a colour let's let's make that it's happen. An artistic so, choice. So there's there is nothing unbiblical about eating apples. Owning Apple products, uh, depending on how many, depending on how many Apple products you own. Wow, uh, James, um, <laughs> he did give me a look. Uh, yes, yeah, so I don't think there's anything uh, there's anything unChristian or unbiblical about it.
2: I think the I also thought of here. It's important to remember what the fruit represents as well in this story. Is it's that that disobedience? It's that going against that command that God has given them. And it's not necessarily what it actually was, but what it represents, I think, in in that moment too. Mm. Yeah. Mm.
0: yeah yeah, jo- the idea of genre comes into it a yeah. little bit too, perhaps.. Yeah. Yeah. but also, um, I think even if you were to take the whole thing very literally, um, it's a specific command for a specific time for a specific tree that mm. we don't have access to anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all the other fruit they were allowed to eat in the garden, it was just it was just the fruit from the tree. Um, knowledge of good and evil or the tree of life. I can't remember.
1: Knowledge of good and evil. I'm going to fail
0: my master's degree. Knowledge of good and evil. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so that tree is not available to us anymore. So it's not a command that's going to last um, like into now. And in fact, this is a different context as well, but Jesus declared all foods clean um, and, um, and Peter had that vision of everything was available to them. It wasn't. It's not the context of this, but it was more in the context of like clean and unclean foods um, in the um, the Old Testament law. But yeah, you can eat you can eat fruit. I think
1: yeah, yeah. I apples. Apples are great. A- and <laughs> it- I mean, it comes back Revelation twenty two. On each oh. side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. So yeah, it, the, the that fruit you know that sort of you know. Return somewhat to Eden, um, mm. uh, you know, comes back at the um, depiction of what the new creation is going to look like. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what it represents, it, at, at its heart, all sin is distrust in the Word of God. Yeah. And that's that's ultimately like what's, uh, what's on show.
0: So don't mistrust the Word of God but... Eat apples. But eat apples. Yeah, yep. love it. Good. Brilliant point yep. to end on, <laughs> 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 Okay, so um, that wraps up our questions. Um, you've given a bit, a bit of a preview, Dave, of what we're talking about yes. next week. But
1: yeah, uh, so often when you come to look at psalms, uh, they become fillers. Uh, we just do them in the school holidays, or we got a week to, to go. Oh, let's just do a psalm. Um, And we never really sort of then let Psalms speak as a whole sort of uh, sermon series. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're keen to sort of open up the Psalter to really examine uh, what it looks like in there. So uh, there's 150 of them. We're not doing them all. Fair enough. We'll be in it uh, up until uh, almost Christmas. And really the, the title is called Songs for Every Season. Uh, because that's what the psalms are—they they are songs, uh, and there's so many ones in there that really help our hearts to sing in different seasons of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as we go through uh, the weeks, each one has a season That's sort of we've we've given it, uh, and we kick off with Psalm eight, season of wonder. That sounds nice. Sounds wonderful.
0: Uh, well, we hope to see you on Sunday, and you can join us in wondering. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'd love you to join us at Kellyville Anglican any Sunday at 8.30, 10.30 or 6.15pm. You can find out more information at www.ka.church. So come join us and see for yourself what is said on Sunday.